Well, welcome everybody. It's, whoa. It's so good to have so many here on a Thanksgiving weekend. My name is Steve Atkins. I'm the lead pastor here at Hillcrest, and I'm excited to share a little bit with you. See if we can get this ring tone <laughs> to tone down. All right, there we go. We've been, um, if you're just joining us or you're just joining family, you traveled from far away to come here, or it's your first time here at Hillcrest or you haven't been for a while, we're in the middle of a series of teaching we've called, we're calling Gospel Fluency. Uh, the desire is to become fluent in the gospel and um, basically fluent, fluent and fluid. Oh, by the way, grade six to eight, see you guys later. We love you. Have a great class. Uh, we'll see you afterwards. But becoming fluent in the gospel, really, it's from the same root word as fluid. In other words, it just flows out of you. And, uh, but before we get to the point where the gospel flows out of us to other people, and before we think about sharing the truth about Jesus with somebody else, we should probably start at the beginning place, the source from which it flows out of. And we should ask this big question, is the gospel good news to me? Is the gospel good news to me? You see, if something is good news to you, it'll flow out of you naturally. But if it's not good news to you, uh, it won't. It will be awkward. It'll be constricted. It'll be forced. Um, for our share, if we want to share the truth about Jesus, what he's done for us, and what he says about us, if we want to share those truths with other people, then we first have to, uh, it has to come from inside for it to be really fluid for it to really flow it's got to come from an authentically authentically grateful heart that's experienced some of the results of trusting in what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus says about us so what do you let's talk about what we naturally talk about what do you naturally talk about Today is Thanksgiving. There'll be lots of conversations around lots of tables and lots of places. What do we naturally talk about? I want to propose that there's two things we talk about very naturally. One is the things that we love, and the other is the things that work. We naturally talk about the things that we love, and we naturally talk about the things that work. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, uh, and this is probably in the talking about what we love category. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So when someone tells you, you are full of it. You shouldn't be insulted unless they clarify. But when they clarify, you might be insulted. <laughs> what are we full of? What are our hearts full of? You can tell a lot of what's in your heart by what's flowing out of your mouth. And I want to draw, as I'm not very good as an artist, but I want to try to symbolize what we're talking about. So here's what you're going to naturally talk about. You know, the good old speech balloon. Oops, did I pick the world's worst, worst marker? Oh, no, I just need to do better. All right, here we go. Okay, so we naturally talk about what's in our hearts. Now, drawing a heart, I was never good at this. We'll see if I get, oh, this is much better than grade two. All right. Okay. So this is the progression. What's in our heart, this is what Jesus said, flows out through the mouth. Right? 
So what is your heart full of? You can tell a lot of what's in your heart by what's flowing out through your mouth. Someone told me this morning about their first grandchild. They spoke very naturally. They didn't sound like they'd rehearsed what they were talking about. It just flowed. You could tell that they loved their first grandchild. And it was easy for them to talk about. I would say that they had first grandchild fluency. In fact, if I'd let them continue to talk, they would have went on and on and on about their first grandchild. It's actually a very nice conversation we had. But it was easy. If I saw someone this morning that is a regular here at the church and I noticed you're wearing an engagement ring for the first time, then I'd say, well, tell me about your fiancé. And guess what? I bet they would talk very fluently. It would be very easy for them to talk about their fiancé. Why? Because we talk about what we love. It's easy. If, you, if I go out into the parking lot after the service and I see a fully restored 1970s muscle car and the owner walks up and I see that he's put years of his life into this car and I say, well, tell me what's under the hood, that will not be a hard conversation. Why? Because we talk about what we love. If you're wearing a Rough Riders jersey today and I ask you how their season's going, unless you are Laura Blackman, it will be easy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just an inside joke. If you were here last week, Laura Blackman got up and talked about her understanding of football. And, uh, and uh, wow, wow. I've heard lots of good results. Some of you thought that was the greatest part of the service last week for sure. She really hit a touchdown, let's just say that. Oh, home run, okay. She did some research this week. Oh, that's good. If I come up to you this morning and I say, hey, it looks like you haven't slept. And I start digging to find out what the thing is, you'll be able to talk about it. Maybe I say, hey, were you at Joe's place last night? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or do you have a baby at home? Oh, there's a whole conversation there. Did you stay up playing Fortnite season six? Well, there's a whole conversation there. Well, what is your heart full of? It's going to flow out of your mouth. It's easy to talk about what we love. It's natural, it flows, it's fluid. Now here's the question. Can you reverse engineer this process? Can you make it go the other way? Hmm, this is an interesting concept. How do you change what your heart is full of? How can you do that? What if you talk more about the thing you should love? Will that work? Could you talk about the things you should be loving and see your heart change? Can you reverse engineer this dynamic in your life? I think in some ways you can. Listen to another quote by Jesus, Matthew 5, 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what are you treasuring? What are you treasuring? Your heart will follow whatever that is that you're treasuring. Your mouth speaks what your heart is full of, but your heart is connected to what you treasure. So I'm going to talk about a dynamic that precedes the heart. Treasuring. What are you treasuring? You want to love something more? You love what you talk about. Do you talk about what you love? 
Can it go both ways? So what if you talk about something more? You pay attention to it more. You think about it more. You spend more time in that area. You spend more effort in that area. You give your resources to that area. You invest and immerse yourself in something that you want to love more. You know you should love more. You ought to love more. And you will find that your heart will follow your treasuring efforts. You'll find your heart will follow your treasuring efforts. Efforts. For example, some of you have made a commitment to listen to these gospel fluency messages. They're about, you know, eight, what is it, eight to ten weeks long? I can't remember the exact time frame. But you're, you're committing to listen to them. And that's a treasuring. That's, a, that's an intentional action that you can do to change what your heart fills up with. So you say, I'm going to listen to them. Whether I listen, I'm here for them or I listen to the podcast, I'm going to listen to them because I want to see uh, change in what my heart loves. Some of you have said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually make a further commitment. I'm going to be in a weekly life group, and in that life group, I'm going to talk about what we're talking about on Sunday and also discuss it there. That's another step where you're saying, I'm taking another step to treasure this. Or some of you are, are even taking a further step. You're saying, not only am I going to be in the life group, but there's some scriptures that sort of you can read every week. I'm going to try my absolute best to read those scriptures every week because as I'm reading the Word of God, I believe that that is going to have an impact on what my heart loves. So I'm going to choose to treasure that. I'm going to make an intentional choice so that the love of my heart is good stuff, not bad stuff, or the best stuff, not even just good stuff, but the best stuff, and that it eventually flows out of my mouth. What you treasure, your heart will be full of. What your heart is full of will flow out of your mouth. So let me ask this. Has what Jesus done for you been treasured? Has it filled your heart? Has it started to flow out of your mouth? Because we talk about what we love. But also, I said another area. We talk about what works. We talk about what works. You ever met somebody who does CrossFit? They talk about what works. Ever met anyone who's on the paleo diet? Paleo, am I saying it right? Paleo. Oh, I caught you. <laughs> no, just kidding. It doesn't mean, just means you're educated. But people talk about what works. Someone who's doing the Dave Ramsey baby steps. Someone who's using a special skin moisturizer that really is better than all the rest. That seminar that helped you, that book you read, that podcast you listened to. How about your go-to Thanksgiving recipe that's so, so simple, but it never fails. Why do you talk about it? Because it works. It works. We talk about what works. This morning I was thinking about this dynamic when I got dressed. I thought, uh, if you want comfortable shoes... You need Clarks or Merrells. That's it. Because they work. They're comfortable. If you want comfortable pants, you can wear in every environment. You can actually get these at Warehouse One. Different colors. If you're a skinny guy and you hate ironing, Mark's Work Warehouse. Modern fit. Modern fit. That's important. We talk about what works. There's only three racks of clothes in this whole town that I go to. Shoes, pants, shirts, I know where they are. I don't ever, I'll be still shopping there when I'm 65. Because it works. 
So we talk about what works. Paul, in in 2 Corinthians, reminds us that when we're talking about what works, we should be talking about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Let the one who boasts, that's what we're basically doing when we're talking about something that works, like, yeah, my Ford truck can do this, or or this recipe is like this, or, or these clothes, or whatever you're talking about, my favorite movie star, my sports team. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's okay to brag up the stuff in life that works, but has the truth about Jesus begun to work in your life? Has it impacted your life? Has it begun to work in you? So we, what we love, we talk about, but also what works, we talk about. So if you examine your words, what do they tell you about what you love? And if you examine your words, what do they tell you about what you believe works or what you trust in? And where does Jesus come in? So this is the diagnosis side of the issue, but I want to move to the solution side. So some of you might be saying, ouch, at this point, and it's okay. The good news is if you experience an ouch in this area, and I bet everybody does, actually. That's probably quite normal, even if you've been a follower of Jesus for dozens of years. I bet you realize the truth. I hope you realize the truth, that this Gospel, this truth about Jesus, what he's done for us and what he says about us is way bigger than our current experience has been. We haven't delved down to the depths of it all. We haven't experienced the full breadth of it all. There is so much more impact and transformation that God has packed into this gospel for each one of us. And I don't think there's a person in the room who's saying, yeah, I I think I've experienced it all now. I think it's soaked into every corner of my heart and every corner of my life, and it's done the transforming work it was meant to do. I think that's done. I don't think there's a one of us in the room who could claim that. And if we did, I don't think we'd be right. This is the truth, the truth about Jesus, what he's done for us, what he says about us, is meant to transform us for our entire lives. And even then... And even then, we won't experience the full impact of all that it is. So let's talk about, well, I'm going to just give you one tool today to hopefully help on the, on the solution side of things. And uh, it's the idea of capturing and, ima- and examining our thoughts. See, we, there's a lot of other stories. Uh, Pastor Kurt did a great job talking about this last week. But there's a lot of other stories that fill our hearts. There's a lot of other things that inform our speech. There's a lot of, and 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 they're in our culture, they're in our families of origin, they're they're, uh, just in our friend group, they're on Facebook, they're on Twitter, you can capture, you get it on from the news media. There's source after source after source that will say, this is the dominant story of your life. Or this is the thing, the most important dynamic. Or this is actually a more important story than the gospel story is. And this is as old as time itself. You know, let me just pull us back. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 tells us the story. Paul, uh, Kurt was reading it last week. Let me just read it really quickly. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has made. This is like the origin story of mankind. He said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
So there's a story that there's a there's a, a um, there's another way of looking at things that comes along and it in, and it in, and inserts a doubt into our mind. Did God really say? You know, there's so much packed into that. Is God really good? Does God really love you? So here's this Eve. She's in this beautiful garden with her husband Adam, and and she's been given the run of the entire place. This perfect, wonderful thing. One, one restriction and only one. Don't eat from one tree. And then the, the lie comes in. Is God really good? Why is he holding out on you from that one tree? Boy, maybe God really doesn't love you. Maybe he really doesn't have your best interests at heart. And this doubt comes in. And Eve does not do what we, I'm proposing we should do this morning. I'm proposing that we actually step back from the things that we, we hear or we think and we examine them and say, is that true? What if Eve had actually stepped back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm living in a garden, perfect paradise, and having, it's, it's wonderful, and it's peaceful, harmonious, and green and beautiful, and I don't know if this is true, this lie about God doesn't have my best interest in heart. It sort of seems like a pretty great scenario. What if she stepped back and examined it? What if she captured that tempting thought, that, that lie, that, that accusation against God, that God's not really good? Did God really say? What if she captured that, examined that, and refuted it, rejected it? And she didn't. And Adam didn't. So together, their unbelief in God led to mankind's downfall. But what if she'd taken the time? What if Adam had taken the time? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 talks about this. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now, we're going to talk about how there's a real honest-to-goodness battle that happens internally with some of, the, with some of these thoughts that, that elevate themselves above the truth about Jesus. Okay, so there's a battle, there's, and that battle's in, in our own minds. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to, to demolish strongholds. And we're not talking about castles in the Middle Ages, strongholds. We're actually talking about um, strongholds in the mind, where your mind has been captured by thoughts that lead to really bad ends in our lives. We demolish these arguments, these thoughts, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So let's say, I'm going to just try this. I haven't done this before, so this will be interesting. But let's just see if we can look at some possible thoughts that could come to our minds that maybe have set themselves up against the knowledge of Christ and they've created a battle in our mind. So, um, how about this one? Just enough room. Okay. If you can't read it, I'll read it for you. It says money equals 
security. Now, that's a very simple way. If I have enough money, if only I had enough money, I would be secure. I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't be full of anxiety. If only I had a certain amount of money. What's that dollar amount? (laughs) Someone put a zero up. It's a different number for every person in the room. This is really insidious. If only I had a certain amount, I would be secure. And you know what? Once you get that certain amount, the number changes. Just like magic. It's amazing how it happens. If only I had this new number, then I would be secure. And you get that number, and now you need another number. After a while, you figure out it's not about the number. Actually, you begin to realize, maybe, actually, no, I should say, you may not begin to realize. You may live your whole life with money equaling security being the dominant story of your life. The dominant story. We happen to live in North America. This is a very dominant story. Materialism is one of the big ones for North Americans. This easily fills our heart. This easily becomes the thing that we worship. This easily becomes the most important. This becomes the scorecard. This becomes the measurement. And because we're hearing it, 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 we don't stop to examine it. So what if you were to say, I'm going to take that thought captive, you're worrying about money, you're thinking about if only I had. What if you took a moment and you said, let's just put this in a cage. Let's put this thought like a dangerous animal in a cage and let's walk around the cage and examine this creature. And see if this is the truth and see if this is healthy and see if this is lining up with the gospel. Romans 8.20, or 8.32. Let me read it, Romans 8.32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give all things? Now, I'm just maybe reference another one. Uh, when Jesus says, Uh, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That verse we went with. Before that, he talks about um, what you treasure. Do you treasure um, things on earth that moth can destroy, rust can destroy, and thieves can steal? He's talking about how money or possessions don't bring you security. The teachings of Jesus. He says, rather store up treasures in heaven where moth, rust, thieves can't touch. They're unshakable. They can't be stolen from. They can't be taken. So Jesus himself in his teaching says, says, don't put your security here. Don't find your security here. Look to God himself to be your security. And is God a good provider? Is he a good one to put our trust in for the area of security? Well, look at his track record. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. If he was willing to do that, if he was willing to give his only son on our behalf, do you think he has our best 
in mind? Do you think he has the right kind of intentions towards us? Do you think we can trust him? The argument of this verse is that if he didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, then how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things which are a lot less than giving up his son? Look at the track record of this God that we worship. And trust. Lay your anxiety and worry down. It can't add another hour to your life. It can't add another inch to your stature. It can't add. I'm not against working hard, making money, saving money, investing money. Those all have a place. But not so that this becomes your security. Because it can vanish in a heartbeat. It's not dependable. Put your security where it cannot be stolen. And it cannot be lost. It cannot be taken from you. And that's in relationship with God, who's a great provider. He provide, God provides his own son so that we can be right with God. If he's going to willing to give us that much, then why won't we trust him with the other areas of our life which are much smaller? Let's try this with a different one. Where's my eraser? There we go. Try this with a different one. What other dangerous thoughts do we need to put in a cage and examine? If only I could have a relationship with a beautiful girl. She's beautiful, isn't she? Or if only I could have a relationship with a very long-legged man. (laughs) I don't know why I drew him like that. But anyhow, he's tall. Then I will be happy. How much is this being pumped 24-7 at us? If only I had that right person in my life, I would be happy. Oh, that missing piece. If only I had them. And that's all I need. And that's all I'm looking for. And so people who aren't married are susceptible to this lie. And people who are married are susceptible to this lie. It's called somebody syndrome. If I only had that somebody, that certain somebody, then, oh, all my dreams would come true. I'd finally be happy. I'd finally be satisfied on the inside. You know what? This is a a terrible setup for life. This is a terrible setup. It's a setup for both you and the person you might meet. Because if that person is supposed to be the one who saves you, how would we say that? If that person's supposed to be your savior, I'll tell you, human beings make terrible saviors. I make a terrible savior, and you make a terrible savior. It might sound sort of semi-romantic to say, 
You know, you're going to be in a relationship and you'll worship the ground they walk on. But you know what? Worshiping another person gets really tiresome real fast. It's not actually a healthy dynamic. And you know what? If you're not happy before you get into a relationship, are you going to be happy when you get into a relationship? Or are you just going to bring a lot of unhappy with you? There's a lots of ways in which this is a dangerous thought. But let's look at what the gospel says. Let's look at what, what the truths about Jesus. 1 John 3.1. It tells us another source for love. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. You say, I'm looking for love. Just don't look in the wrong places. You're made to be loved. That's okay. That's good. That's the design. And you're made to find it in Jesus Christ. You're made to find it in Jesus Christ. I've told you this before. At our wedding, Marnie and I, man, I was obsessed about Marnie, so obsessed. God had to help me get through those dating and engagement years because it was like, oh, man, she was everything. She's awesome. But I remember on our wedding day, it was, I just felt like it was important to stand up and say, guess what? We are not each other's first loves. Jesus has captured our hearts long before we ever met each other. And he'll always be number one. And you see us in our passion for each other, in our desire for each other, in our, in our love for each other. This is not the biggest love in our lives. There's a bigger love. There's a, there's a, there's a more satisfying love than this one. That's the love of God. It's the love of God. And you know what? Sometimes we imperfectly reflect the love of God towards each other, and that feels awesome and wonderful, but at the same time, we know that that's not as pure as what God can give. That's not as, what, as satisfying what God can give. So I'm not saying don't pursue relationship, don't want to be married, don't, don't uh, desire to be in, in relationship. No, those are all good things. But you take a good thing and you make it a God thing, it becomes an evil thing in your life. Let's try one more. I'm not sure how to draw this. I should have thought this through. All right. Uh, hmm. Okay, this is, you'll just have to use your imaginations, I think, with this one. Because uh, I clearly don't know what I'm doing. Well, that looks terrible. Okay. I'm going to write on it so there's no misunderstanding. That was supposed to be a trophy, but I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't know. Clearly, I've never won one, so I don't know. <laughs> so the idea behind this one is if I perform, I will experience acceptance. Is this message in the culture? Is this message in every relationship you've ever been in? 
If you're smart enough, if you're funny enough, if you're fast enough, if you're wealthy enough, if you're cool enough, if you're into what I'm into, then you'll be accepted. We feel that vibe in every, almost every relationship. You come in here and go, what does it take with this person to be good with them, to be accepted? What are the conditions? It'd be handy if people could just give you a piece of paper and say, oh, here are the conditions to be my friend. Oh, wow, that's a pretty long list. But thank you, it's clear. I don't have to figure it out. That's so convenient. We should just make them. Maybe we'll do that as a task this morning. Just write down, what do people have to do to be good with you? I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. But this leads us down all sorts of roads. Some people are still trying years after they discovered uh, the impossible requirements of somebody else to have their acceptance. They are still trying to get it. In fact, some people are still trying to get the trophy of their acceptance after that other person has passed on. That's how tightly it can latch on to our hearts and our souls. This is a dangerous lie is a dangerous idea. If I perform good enough, then I'll finally get the acceptance that I need on the inside. If I'm good enough, I'll be accepted. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that God works in a totally different way. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved made right with God through faith that's through trusting Jesus and this is not from yourselves it's the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast so in God's economy it's not about you did enough you you fulfilled all these conditions the reality when we read the Bible is that we can't do enough to be accepted by God we can't stand at the end of it and say look what I did I did it No, it says that no one can boast. No one can boast at the end of the day with God. But you can receive his gift of grace. You can receive his gift of grace. And he promises his acceptance. He promises his acceptance that he's willing to give. He didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to condemn the world. But he wanted the whole world to be saved. He wanted everyone to be in right relationship with him. So we capture these thoughts as they come. They're not always laid out on a whiteboard. That's the tricky part. There's a battle. You've got to discern. You've got to say, what? Lord, would you show me? Would you show me how there are lies, accusations, temptations, whatever, that are in my thinking? And in that thinking, they become in my heart. And they're not, they're not a purifying force in my heart, but they're actually a poisoning force in my heart. And that there's words coming out that they're mystifying to me because they're not words that are full of life, but they're words that show that things are not well underneath. So could you show me the things that I believe that totally disagree with what you tell me about myself, And also what your word reveals about what you've done for me. Could you show me those things so I can capture those thoughts, examine those thoughts, and then bring the truth of Scripture to bear to those thoughts? 
Today's Thanksgiving, and I, I'm going to try to end with this. Being thankful is a, an interesting thing. If you're a parent, if you have been a parent of a child or you're a parent of a child, you, you maybe have asked yourself this question. How old will my children be when they are finally grateful? You know, maybe when they hit junior high. <laughs> Someone said no. <laughs> yeah, you experienced junior high. It was terrible, wasn't it? Not just bad for them, but anyhow. Maybe when they hit high school. Or maybe the first year of college, they'll finally get it and they'll become grateful. Or maybe it's when they move out on their own, like really out on their own, that they'll finally get it and they'll become grateful. Or maybe it'll be when they get into a really deep and serious relationship that they'll finally become grateful. Or maybe it's when they have their first child that they'll finally become grateful. Or, and parents don't even want to go here, maybe they'll never become grateful. Whoa. I was in my mid-30s when I realized that I was not grateful towards my dad. I was an ungrateful kid. My dad was a good man in many respects. Not a perfect man, but somehow in my thinking about my dad, I'd zeroed in on a few of his faults and I sort of latched on to them and wouldn't let them go. And there was a lie, there was a lie that it's entered into my thinking about my relationship with my father. That if my father would change, then our relationship would be okay. Or if my father would change, well, that, that really was the only way I could get what I needed for me. So I was looking for some level of acceptance, some level of Uh, physical affection, some level of verbal affection. I was looking for some some of that. And I'd latched on to the lack of that. And because of that, I was very upset with my father. And our relationship was not good. I didn't appreciate him. I wasn't grateful. I was a 30-year-old ungrateful kid. And I wasn't willing to accept him for who he was. I was holding over him that he must change. And one day I got so desperate in my struggle with my father that I turned my hunger for affection and affirmation to God. I was, in, I was here at a church service. I was near the back, that section by, at the back. I turned my hunger for the affection and affirmation I needed to God. The Bible says that God is a heavenly father, that he's available to us. He's made, and Jesus, through Jesus, the way has been made open so that we can boldly approach him in his throne of grace. And so I cried out to God, and I, I basically saying, Father, my own earthly dad, I'm so disappointed, I'm struggling, our relationship's not good, I've been looking to him to provide something that it seems like he will never provide, Can I switch? Can I switch that to you? Can I get that from you? Can I start looking to you? 
Will you be my father? Will you father me in these areas where I'm so empty? See, I wanted the words that God the Father spoke over Jesus. You know when Jesus was baptized, comes out of the water, and the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I wanted that so desperately. What Jesus had with the Father, I wanted for myself. And God the Father began to work in my life. In response to my desperate cry, it began to work in my life. And a incredible transformation happened. Two things. One, I really did start to experience a deeper sense of God's love for me, of his affirmation, I, I, of his being my father and me being his son. That became much deeper. In my, it went from the head. I could write it on a paper. If you wanted me to take a test, I'd get it right. But it went from the head to the heart. And I began to experience the love of God in a new way as a father to a son. And he began to fill up some of those empty places that I was looking to my own dad to fulfill. The second thing that changed surprised me. I did not see this coming. My relationship with my earthly dad got way better. I had sort of relieved him of my expectations, and now I found myself accepting him. And I was looking to the Father for the things I couldn't get from my dad, but I was getting it from my, my heavenly Father. And now when I looked at my own dad, I was like, I was able to accept him for who he was. He was just like me, a sinner, saved by grace, who wasn't perfect, and himself who needed the love of the Father. The last 10 years, I was for sure 10 years, maybe there was more, but the last 10 years of my relationship with my father, he died a year ago, was incredible. There was an incredible change in our relationship. And this wasn't a self-help book that got me there. This wasn't a pep talk that I gave myself. This was the gospel's work in my life. This is the work of God in my life. We talk about what works. I experienced what works in my life. It's easy for me to tell this story. I've told it many, many times. It's easy for me to tell this story because I remember all the details. I remember how it happened. I remember how needy I was, how I, I was in a bad place in my mind and in my heart. And God changed it. God was the difference. It wasn't that I watched Dr. Phil and got some new ideas. It was that I realized what I had through the truth of the gospel, through the truth of what God had done for me, through the truth of what Jesus had done and even what Jesus and what God was saying about me, that I was his beloved son, that I was accepted in him. The truth about Jesus turned me around and I experienced God's love and I started to love, honor, and appreciate my own dad. And it was all because of the gospel. Would you stand with me? Worship team will invite you guys to come back. Maybe, just maybe, this morning, this, the Spirit of God, because that's who brings these things to our mind, maybe the Spirit of God has brought to your mind an area where you say, I, I think... I've 
believed a lie or, or there's a doubt or there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a temptation in there to run after something that won't actually bring me life. Maybe it's become even more clear. Maybe you've realized how it actually contradicts the truth about Jesus. You realize that it is an argument that sets itself up against the truth about God. And there's an actual battle going on in your mind because these things are not dislodged so easily, are they? Especially something that you've focused on for years. You've believed since you were a child or that the culture has reinforced every single day of your life. Those things are not easily dislodged. It takes a battle. It takes a battle. It takes some intentional choices to treasure something you know that should be loved. But you also know, because you've been hearing your speech, it isn't loved like it should be loved. And so you, some of you have just made a commitment. You've made a choice. You say, through this series, through this time, through the next number of years, I want to grow in this understanding of the gospel. I want its full transformation to happen in me. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, boy, all this talk about God dying or Jesus giving, or God giving his son and, 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 and opening up the way to us to have a relationship with the Father, to see him as a father and me be seeing myself as his son or his daughter, that's new. But it's for you. It's for you and me. To anybody who receives that, to anyone who believes in him, puts their trust in God in this area, he says, we could become children of God. We could become sons and daughters and enter into that family relationship that he's got for us. So I want to just pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you this morning. Lord, first I just want to pray for people who, uh, they've recognized a lie this morning. They recognized a battle area. Yeah. You've got your eyes closed and your head's bowed. If you're here this morning, you've got a battle area. I just want you to raise your hand. Just, you say, I've got a battle area in my mind i got a battle area in my mind and my heart. I recognize it here this morning. Just put, raise your hand. You can, I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than that. Okay, lots of hands. Lots of hands. This is a, the human condition. Thank you. Put, the, put those hands down. Lord, I pray for everyone who's in the battle. They recognize the battle. They, they've, they've recognized, even if it's fuzzy, it's hazy, it's difficult to, to really nail it down or put it on a whiteboard. It's, it's not totally clear, but I pray, Lord, it would become clearer. I ask that it would become clearer. Clear enough that they can capture it and I pray that you give them the truth that counteracts that and that they can begin claiming that truth and rejecting that lie they capture that lie they cage it and they reject it and they would claim your truth they'd walk in your truth they'd speak that truth to themselves they begin to be able to even speak that truth to other people as it becomes clearer and clearer but Lord I pray that you'd assist them in their battle You'd assist them in their battle. And now there may be some of you here this morning where you're, you're saying, I, I've never really, really trusted God with my life. I've never really maybe crossed that line of faith and belief into just trusting him with my whole life. 
but you recognize that something is happening in you. Maybe you're even noticed, you even you, if, if you had the opportunity, you would just say yes to God and you'd respond to him. Well, today you can do exactly that. You can do exactly that. Let me pray for you. Lord, I, I just pray for those in the room who they say, man, I need to... I need to quit trying to order my own life and run my own life. I need to turn it over to Jesus. I need so much help in the areas where I've tried to do it on my own. But now I I give my life over to you, Jesus. So just in, in your heart of hearts, just say that to God. God, I give you my life. Lead me. Guide me. Forgive me for everything I've done. Make me clean. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you this morning, if you, if, if you are either in the battle and you haven't shared that with anyone, could you share it with someone? There's going to be prayer teams at the end. They, they'd be willing to chat with you about that or myself or other pastors here. Or maybe there's a friend you want to ch- share that with. Or you saying, I... I Today, I committed my life to Jesus for the first time. Then share that with someone. That is such good news. You better not keep that to yourself. That's awesome. But please, would you share? Would you involve other people in the journey that you're on? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to worship and be dismissed. Lord, would you bless each one who's here this week? I pray for Thanksgiving to be a truly grateful time. I pray for kids to grow up into gratefulness through this Thanksgiving. I pray for adults to, to, to excel in gratefulness. And I pray that praise to you would burst from our hearts through our mouths because we just have had another glimpse of what you've done for us. In your name.